when I think about you, Danny, I think about the word serendipity. You've gone out and created so many of these amazing opportunities for yourself, both such a cool podcast, interviewing hundreds of people, asking meaningful questions and publishing for the world to see. I know the podcast wasn't the first thing you ever put out into the world, though. You did something very unusual when you were about seven years old. Do you mind telling us what you did then? Yeah. So I had this idea to take over the New York Times. And I don't know why I got this idea exactly, but it was just it was just something where I saw my parents reading something and I said, why aren't they reading something that I wrote? And it was just that idea of like, oh, if somebody else created something that my parents are reading, I could create something similar. And so I created something called the Sunny Times. And I think I did like a few issues, maybe like three or four. I would sell them for $5 a pop, go around to the neighbors. My grandma would also sell them to her friends as well. And it was just my first taste of media, of creating, of writing. And it wasn't like anyone was telling me to do this. It wasn't like I was forced to do it. It was just like this was within my nature to go and spread a message or to write and create something and to show it to people. Like that's just very much me at a deep level. And so, yeah, that's what I did when I was seven. Pretty wild, right? It is. Where do you think you got that from? I don't know. And and that's what I don't know where it comes from, right? Like th- this is just and that's the weird part about life is like some parts of us are just in us. Like there are parts of us where I've heard from parents who have young children. It's like they have personalities. They have things that they are inclined to do. And I I could not tell you where my desire to look at the world, create something from that and share it comes from. I just want I share my emotions. I share what I'm feeling, I put it all out there. Like that's just who I am as a human being. And so my internet personality is just a reflection of that. I'm interviewing all these people because I just want to share all their stuff because I think they're super cool. So I don't know where it comes from exactly, but I know it's just in me. Then at 13, you started a time management blog. At 15, you wrote about New York Knicks and Gary Vaynerchuk called your mom to let you stay up till late to attend his book signing after you tweeted at him. What I want to try and understand is your understanding at such a young age about all these things and these passions that you had and sharing them with people, little pieces of content that could potentially turn into lottery tickets. So what was your thinking about creating for someone else to consume back then at 13, 15? And how has it changed since if it has? Yeah. So I, when I wrote at 13 and I found the archive.org I don't, have you seen that website at all? Archive.org? No, I haven't. It, it's like it basically encapsulates old web pages. And so the website that I have back then, the only reason I could access it or see my posts is because I went on this website, archive.org, which is like ah. a time capsule. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I read a lot of books there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you're, you're familiar with it. I so I was always curious, like, what was I writing about? Like, what was I interested in? And so sometimes, like, probably like once every six months, I'll go back and I'll I'll look at my website at the time and I'll check it out. And I'll be like, oh my God, I was covering this topic that I tweeted about yesterday and this topic that I'm interested in. So it's like, it's very, it's interesting to me that so much of what I was covering back then, I've just found my way back to. I don't know what your question was around creating and how I've 
What was it exactly? Yeah, sort of have you been thinking about creating for someone else to consume? And how I think about creating is like, what are the things interesting to me? And I think because of that, my reach hasn't been as wide as it could be if I put myself in the audience shoes. But I know for me to do it for as long as I want to, which is like 50 plus years, it's got to be based on myself because there's no, I can't be, I can't be thinking about what you want me to talk about for 50 years. It's just not going to work for me. I have to think about what I want to talk about for 50 years. And sometimes that's going to be parenting. And sometimes that, that's going to be about how to become a better weightlifter. And sometimes that's going to be how to become a better podcaster. And there are going to be parts of that where you're going to resonate with or you're going to be interested in. There's going to be parts of that where you're not. And I'm willing to say, okay, I'm willing to grow slower or create things that not everyone are going to resonate with because I want to talk about what I'm interested in. So that's kind of how I think about it today and how I've honestly always thought about it. Let's go back to 15-year-old Danny. So you started so early, but then you seem to have gotten caught up with just normal school and college stuff. And yes. then you come back to this again now uh, at 25. So do you mind describing that period from when you were 15 to 25 years of age in a little more detail? And what do you think was perhaps the main cause that sucked you into that typical student lifestyle? Yeah, absolutely. And especially since you're at that age right now where, you know, you're 16 years old, right? And and so you're, you're at that place where it's like, where I was when I was like, I can't do this stuff on the internet. I gotta be a normal kid. For me, it was like, what I was, I didn't have enough belief in myself and enough, like I knew I could be successful if I did it, but I, I didn't have the discipline and I didn't have like I didn't want to fight my parents about it or my friends. I was like, I can be a normal kid. I can have a normal experience. Like I know I'm not normal deep within me because I'm 15 years old and I'm going to meet NBA players. Like there's nothing normal about that when you look around and everyone else is not uh, 15 years old. Everyone's like in their 30s. So I knew I wasn't normal, but I also knew I had a desire to be normal. And I knew my parents were pushing me, not not explicitly, but implicitly pushing me towards the normal path. And so I said, fine, I'll be normal. I'll get a college degree because it's important to you because you, you want me to do it. Fine. I'll, and I, there was a part of me that was excited about like going to college, going to parties, you know, going, getting in immersed in that. But like at my core, I'm not that like at all. And so for me, it was just, it was more a need or desire to fit in and a desire to do what the people who brought me into this world wanted me to do. Hmm. Do you regret any of the time you spend during those days? No, I don't because life is long. And if you're going to start your life at 25, that's still really young. And if you're going to start your life at 45, that's still really young based on how the internet compounds and how the, the potential for it is incredible. Some of my best friends to this day, are friends that I made in college. And if I was just on ESPN at that time and I was just covering sports and I had made my way to the big leagues, that like I would be like, ah, like I didn't, I missed out on the college experience. So I think there's a lot of facets to life. And I'm really grateful to have experienced 15 to 25 of being normal because it allows me to podcast in a way that is more, I have more perspectives to go from. I have my college friends' perspective of like, 
this internet stuff is crazy. And I have my internet friends who like are like, dude, you partied? Like that's crazy. So it's uh it's good to have more perspectives in life. And so I'm not, I don't regret that decision at all to be quote unquote normal. Nice. And so <clears throat> coming to the present, you've interviewed 300 plus people on your podcast in what, two, 2.5 years? And two and a half years. Yeah. Less than two and a half years. Wow. Examples of people who've come on to your show include Brian Johnson, Morgan Housel, <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk, David Perel, Jim O'Shaughnessy, Sam Parr, Anthony Pompliano, Derek Sivers, and among obviously many others, many others. Oh, that's a brilliant list. Yeah, man. I feel really blessed that some of my heroes, some of the people that I've really admired will talk to me for an hour or an hour and a half. I'm like sitting there like, this dude wrote something that changed my life. And now I get to ask him questions. And now he's telling me good question. Like this is just the craziest experience of all time. And for me, it's like a kid's dream come true. I mean, I remember so specifically going to Noah Kagan's house for my real first in-person interview and reading Noah Kagan's stuff like five years ago and like seeing how he did uh, like okdork.com and how he built it and his marketing efforts. And I'm like, this dude is so cool. And I get to talk to him now and I get to ask him questions. And now he's like, and I get to go to his house. I remember being like, yo, I'm in a candy store right now. This is insane. Like, so it was just the coolest thing in the world to be able to like live my dreams. And like, I was sending emails to Ryan holiday when I was a freshman in college in 2014, you know, most people didn't know who Ryan holiday was, but I just always resonated with writers. I always resonated with people creating stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's like making all my dreams come true. So when you say that list, it just makes me as excited as I was when I was 15 years old reading some of these people, and it just gets me so excited. You've described your reason for getting into podcasting a couple of years ago as kind of the following. You're on Twitter, and you had a bunch of amazing phone calls with people and thought that they yep. should have been recorded, and so you started a podcast. Yes. Is that right on a high level? Yeah, on a high level. That's absolutely correct. Okay. So I'm curious. So drive me through the current process of you wanting to get someone on the show and they being on the call or in the studio to record. I'll interject you with questions so we can delve into specifics like cold outreach research and stuff like that. So you would like me to describe the the process from like, all right, I want this person on to them coming on the show? Yeah, maybe even start before. So why do you want someone on the show? Like what makes okay. you want them? Yeah, so... For me, it's like I'm attracted to them and I find myself diving deep into their rabbit hole usually, or I'm really curious about this person. And so a lot of times it's creators or people who are writing on the internet or people who have created something. I just always like I've just found myself attracted to those types of people so often. It's like, how do they go about doing this process? And and I would be if I was just going and having dinner with this person, I'd be like, I can't wait to ask some questions. I just spoke to a comedian and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like diving into his process. How does he do this? How does he do that? Like, why is he setting up jokes like this? And so for me, it's like deep on the creative process right now. And who knows? Another part of my life, it might be deep onto like parenting. I, I talk about parenting sometimes and questions like that. But for me, I think right now, it's just creators and people who like spark some level of like fascination with life. And so if I'm interested in somebody, I'll then reach out to them. I'll explain to them, listen, like 
I've done 300 episodes. These are some of the people you might know. And one useful thing that I do is I look at someone's following list and I go through their Twitter or their Instagram and be like, who do they follow and who do they follow that I know? And now it's gotten to the point where it's like, it's a lot of people who I, I like to say that almost everybody respects or admires somebody that I've had on. And that's a pretty wild thing to think about, right? Like there's a lot of people in this world, but there's not that many people who people respect and admire. But there's a good chance that somebody that you do respect or admire has come on the show. That's a cool thing because people want to be associated with people that they respect and admire. For you, I really respect and admire David Perel. He's been on your show. I'm like, yes, okay. If David, if David's coming on, I want to come on too. That's just how we're wired. Um, so I'll reach out to them, explain, you know, these are the people who have come on. Would you be interested in coming on? No worries if you're not interested. I never take it personal when someone says no. Um, and then I just have them on and we have a great conversation. I go do a bunch of research and <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. I'm happy to talk about whatever you want. Yeah. So like when people ask you how long you how long the research process takes, you're like, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> so what's that? Yeah, so I've the only reason I give the figure of like five to twenty hours is because I once went back to the Noah Kagan interview and I was like, how long did I actually spend on this? And I think it turned out to be sixteen hours. But the truth is, like for a Dickie Bush interview, episode 308, it's like, how long did I really spend on that research? It's like, well, I was friends with him and I was following his tweets for two and a half years before we actually did that interview. So it was like, how do you quantify all that time that I know him and I know his experience and I know his journey? It's very hard to like quantify some of this stuff because I'm drawn to these people generally. So yeah, I mean, I, I like to say it takes you know, five to 20 hours. But in truth, I really have no clue. And I think that's a good sign for things that you love doing. It's like, how long does it take? If you have no idea how long it takes, that's a good sign you're on the right path because it means you're so consumed by the process that you can't think about, oh, another hour. Oh, I have to do another hour. Oh, like if you're doing stuff like that for, I could never do a lot of stuff like that because I just, I stop working. Like I stop actually caring. And so for me, I lean into the things where I'm so excited to do it, where I, time gets lost and I can't track the hours. You're at play. Yes. It's a good way to describe it. Do you think there is an unsaid synchronicity that goes into a perfect podcast that you can never prepare for? So would you say some guests surprisingly become a perfect match for the way you guide the conversation more than others? A hundred percent. And I, I even think about this in the context of guests coming on where I'm like, oh, that person isn't coming on. Like, that's okay. It, they will come on at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I just think back to like episode 39 when Gary Vaynerchuk comes on the podcast. It's I like, that. that that is just like a perfect example of like, all right, that happened. That was a little wink from the universe is what I like to call it for like me to keep going on this journey. But like if that had happened in episode one or episode seven, I wouldn't have been as prepared. And similarly, I think about guests this way where it's like, this person's not coming on now, but maybe that's setting me up to be a better interviewer or be more prepared at a different point in my journey. And I think about this all the time where it's like, maybe right now I'm starting to do them in person and that's a whole new level. But it's like, 
I need to get my systems and processes down in person. So maybe I don't want the best guests right now. I mean, I'll take all the best guests I can. But the point is that it's like, it'll happen at the right time. A strong belief that it will happen at the right time for the guests, for the conversation. A lot of it also is the place in my life. Where am I as a human being? Am I in like a a fitness mode or am I in a business mode or am I in a podcast mode or am I in a, like there are different modes we operate under and there are different focuses we have. And so maybe the perfect guest is like you, you're learning about something that's tangentially related to what they're doing. And so I, I think about the synchronicity all the time. I think about everything is how it is supposed to be. So if it happened this way, that is the way it's supposed to be. All you can control is the work that you put in. And it's like, everything else will take care of itself in the right order and the right time. Have you recorded any conversation for the podcast that was difficult to do, but fruitful nonetheless, perhaps? Um, as a whole, none, none that come to mind. I'm sure there were difficult conversations, but no, none really come to mind for difficult but fruitful. But that is an interesting thing to think about. Have you, for this podcast, done any difficult but fruitful conversations? No. What's been the most difficult one that you've you've had to do? Sure. So, like, in this sense, difficult might mean more like emotionally difficult, not in terms of research. That's usually fun as well. You know, you can find fun in that difficulty. But I don't think I've had any guests that have had to, you know, been emotionally difficult having on the podcast. So, yeah. Yeah, likewise. I don't think I have either. Hmm. So, and that, that is interesting. Like, should I, should I think about how could I have more difficult conversations on the podcast? That's right. like an interesting thing to think about that I really haven't considered before. Yeah. And of course, you've had more than 300 guests and me and even I like I have like 12 or 13 guests and we both don't entirely agree with the worldviews of all those people and like other guests right. of course have their differences as well so but you know at the end of the day you're not criticizing the person you're criticizing the idea so even if they're criticizing some of your ideas they're just criticizing your ideas and if you can have that separation of you and your ideas then and, and that person and their ideas so you're not criticizing that guest you're criticizing their ideas. I think that's like very fruitful to be doing. Definitely. And yeah, you can still have that emotional thing tied to it sometimes, but you just realize that you're all here to be, you know, kind of understanding how stuff works. And so rather than, you know, feeding your ego, might as well listen to that person and get get a better picture of reality. Well, that's the thing. The more people you speak to, the better picture of reality you have and the more you understand yourself at a deeper level. And I find that it's probably not just podcasting. It's also writing or it's also comedy or it's also music or it's anything creative that I think involves emotions or your own self. You get to know yourself better by doing it because there's an expanded worldview that's happening. It's like the writer who writes every day on his fifth year is going to be know himself or herself way better than the writer on day one or month one. And this process of uncovering oneself through creative acts is something that 
I'm fascinated by it. And the reason why you get that opportunity in podcasting is because so many different perspectives are coming at you. And then each one of these shape you in some way. And that just makes me so excited because it's like, I am actually growing from talking to so many amazing people. And it's impossible for it not to rub off on you in some way. Hmm. So you're pumping out three long, high quality episodes a week. You are working on the podcast full time, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So obviously you meet with so many amazing guests and surely you've gotten many opportunities thrown your way. How do you filter through the noise and distractions and all the projects you can do from this craft of interviewing people that you obviously love? Dude, I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out right now. And if you have any ideas, let me know. But what's so wild to me is that at some point over the past six months, it shifted where, I mean, I'm still in the mode of saying yes to most things, but there are things that I would have said yes to six months ago that I have to say no to now. And that's just because I only have so many freaking hours in the day. And it's like, I'm trying to like do everything and try to be everywhere, but oh my God, man, it's, it's a wild thing. And it's really, it's a good problem to have and a good blessing to have. But I think about what is the main thing? The main thing is having three high quality conversations every week. Anything that gets in the way of that should be questioned. And then I can do additional things. So for me, it's like, all right, I want to you know, prepare well. I want to make sure that I have these edited well. And now it's like, all right, well, this editing is taking a long time. How do I get that to somebody who wants to or is a great editor and is going to listen or watch the podcast anyway and get them to do it? So yeah, man, it's a process is the whole answer. And I'm trying to work through it and figure out how do I effectively say no? How do I focus? But to me, it's like, keep the main thing, the main thing. And I had a Substack at one point, just like pause that recently because I'm like, I gotta, I don't have time to write to that level once a week because I got to do my show three times a week at a high level. So yeah, that that's the main thing, podcast. And so keeping that top of mind, top of priority, writing that down every day, like about the podcast, that is is the most important thing. What, at what point did it become the most important thing and kind of the main thing that you say? So for the first year, it was, absolutely. I was doing three episodes a week. It was growing. I was enjoying it. It was amazing. But then what happens was I was like, well, I did 160 episodes. Like, how come I don't see the results like that I expected after doing 160 episodes? So then the second year I did episodes whenever I felt like it. And that turned into two episodes a week. And the two episodes a week were great, but I still wasn't seeing the results of what I thought were amazing conversations. And then the third year I was like, all right, I'm going to do three episodes a week again. I'm going to go back to that schedule. And that decision, making it the main thing again for the second time, that was really impactful because I strung together enough three episodes a week where people could get in the habit of consuming it, where then all of a sudden it's like, well, now I'm someone's friend that they hang out with every Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, or whenever they commute or whatever. So I think that was a really important piece of like the third year doubling down on it again and and really making sure that this was going to be my focus. This was going to be something I'm going to dedicate myself to. But if I, I could have easily just stopped after two years and been like, this doesn't work because it, it had not worked after two years. 
It's only after the third year of putting my foot down and being like, no, this is, I'm going to die trying to make this work or make this work. And uh, yeah, that's been the, that's been the huge shift in the past four, five months. Nice. How valuable has Twitter been in your life and just this whole thing? Dude, Twitter is, is the greatest place in the world. And it's like, when I started writing that blog when I was 13, I was just like, okay, how can I get more eyeballs on this blog? Where are the readers? They're on Twitter. Okay, let me go to Twitter. Let me start building my presence on Twitter. And I'm 13 years old. And so I'm connecting with people. I'm replying to people. I'm just building a network of awesome people. And then I did this again when I was 15. And it's just like, it's in me. Like at this point, Twitter is just in me. Uh, but it's it's so cool. You meet such amazing people. You meet such thoughtful people. And if you're a Twitter person and you follow some of the same accounts that I do on Twitter, it's like a good chance we're going to get along as human beings. So yeah, man, it, it's been invaluable. It's been so cool to meet people, to connect with people, to grow on there, to just have more friends on the internet. Like to me, it's everything. It's awesome. What about you? What What's your Twitter... What's how valuable has Twitter been for you? Well, I had a similar journey. So I was writing a blog and I made this deal with me that I'd be pumping out one blog post a day for the first 100 days of launching my blog. So like just publish by the end of the day, like no matter how ugly it is, just to get in that flow. And so, you know, better uh, keep iterating and get better. And so I did that, but then pretty much nobody was reading my blogs because nobody knew that the site existed, right? And then, yeah, that idea that you had, like, uh, where do people read that question? So, like, I found that, I I guess it was from Dickie Bush and Ship 30 for 30. I I didn't take the course, but I guess it was some article that I read. And he was like, you know, go write where people read. (laughs) Nobody's going to know about your blog. (laughs) Nobody's going to know about, you know, this arjunkimani.com that exists because nobody's like sharing them and after a while you know you know even your family stops reading them so uh, you, you go you go to twitter I, I, got, I went to twitter and then just started dming people and I, I want like i thought that i just had to bring this piece to that person and like right in front of that person and then if that's meaning and i trust that it's meaningful for them and could be meaningful to them and yeah i just did that more often, started replying, started tweeting and kind of just went the way it is right now. You got to go where the people are. And it's even something that is scary for you. I wonder if it's like unconscious or conscious that you, we are protecting ourselves and our writing initially because we know no one's reading it, but we're like, oh, we'll be discovered or someone will find it. or But it's like we're really some deep part of us might be like scared to actually put it out there. And I did this myself. I came back to writing when I was in 2020 after I'd been on Twitter a couple of times and knew the power of Twitter. I went to my blog and I was like, I'm just going to write on my blog and I'm going to be the next James clear and I'm going to figure it out. But it was just like, no one was reading the blog. And I have posts on there about like, you know, my cabin in the retreat when I went in the middle of the woods and no one saw it. And then I posted on Twitter and a million people right. see it. And it's just like, obviously, that's the answer. Like, post where the people are. But I think when we're just starting out, it, it could be helpful to build the habit and to get into it. But 
you got to really get feedback on your work if you want to really see long-term success and also connect with people. What I've realized from doing the podcast is just like people are at the heart of everything. Like that's such an obvious statement, but it's true whether you're in computer science, it's true whether you're into carpentry, it's true whether whatever, anything you do, it's like people are at the heart of it. And so connecting with people, learning about people, like forming friendships, like real friendships are what actually takes you to the next level, becoming friends with people. And so, yeah. That, that's been the secret. And podcasting is one way to become friends with somebody. It shows them you really care about them. You're going deep into their story. You're really figuring out themselves. And guess what? We all want to help our friends and we all want to tell our friends about cool experiences we had. If you give somebody a really good experience on a podcast, people are going to, one, think of you as a friend, as the host, but also they're going to tell their other friends about the podcast because they're going to be like, listen, This dude, he gave a great interview and he really understood me at a deep level and I want you to have the same experience. So what can you offer people when you have nothing? You can offer people amazing experiences and you could become friends with people by giving them amazing experiences. And it doesn't have to be through interviewing or conversation. You could give someone an amazing experience by like, I don't know, let's say you're a a painter. Like you could paint them an amazing painting of themselves or an idea that they really care about. That's now giving them an amazing experience. And now people are going to tell their friends about that amazing experience. So I think life is so much about boiling down to how can you give people amazing experiences and lean into that as much as you can, because that's how you're going to advance in your life, in your career and your personal growth as well. Yeah. And you moved to Austin, Texas recently, and that links to kind of the people at the center of things. And yes. just curious more about what made you move. The people. And that, that's that's the that's the start and the end. And the other thing is it is a cultural, it is currently in a beautiful place and time right now where it's not just it's not just an amazing place. It's an amazing place and it's an amazing time. The the amount of comedians that are coming here, the amount of kind people, creatives, writers, podcasters, all of it is exploding. And I feel at the heart of it. Like I feel like they're they all all those types of people are listening to the podcast or are are creating something new or building something. And it's like people are building stuff in Austin, Texas. It feels very much like the Silicon Valley of the 2010s or the 2000s where you have all these startup people go there and I'm sure like it is like that to some extent where startups are moving to Silicon Valley. Right now, it's like Austin's the place where creatives are going, the people building brands, the people, personal brands, the people who are creating their own thing. And it's just, I've got such a a warm feeling from it. It's so beautiful, man. Like, I I love it so much. And you prefer recording in-person podcasts to remote podcasts, don't you? Yes. Because, and also there's so many amazing people to interview here, like I said before. So it's like, when I can connect with someone deeply in person, I'm like, I'm going, I'm allowed to interject. I'm allowed to talk about things that I can ask with more empathy and kindness and someone could see my full body language and someone could see how their answer is affecting me and I could see how they're, I'm, I'm affected by their answer. So it's this wonderful exchange of there's more information you're getting as not only a listener or a watcher, but you, as the host and as the guest. So that 
it's been a remarkable for allowing me to do more in person because there's such an incredible amount of people that I want to talk to who are already here. Yeah, I saw you tweet some photos from the new studio as well. Those are looking fire. Looks nice, right? Yeah. Those are going out this week. Oh, nice. A bunch of those. So I'm so excited to post them, see the reaction to the new studio and the new backdrop. And it's like, dude, I feel like what is happening right now? It's so exciting to me. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about it, the studio? I, I'm i like, this is incredible. This was, I dreamed of one day like having a studio to record in where I could like call this my home base. I'm like, that's the spot that I, I want to record in for a, hopefully a long time. I mean, I say that. I'll go to a new studio in a year, but it's like... <laughs> Right now, it feels like such a, a great spot to call my own and to to really build an aesthetic for the brand. Do you know how many of your listeners <clears throat> only listen to you versus how many watch your podcast on YouTube? Yeah, I think it's bigger on audio only versus I think it's like twice as big on audio versus uh, watch. But I mean... That doesn't mean you don't make the watch yeah. the the watching experience as beautiful as possible. So I think that'll grow as the studio grows and as people start to associate the studio with some of the the production value as well. And also short clips from those exactly. videos. Those are exactly. very powerful. Exactly. And people can start to though the short clips with the 4K cameras and the in-person people will resonate with that and then check out the audio because they'll see the clip and they'll be like, oh, this is sick. He's taking this seriously. I remember I interviewed Morgan Housel and he commented, he's like, I remember when you started posting them in the studio, that's really when he started to take me seriously because he was like, oh, it's the, this isn't just a, a podcast where you open the Zoom and you go. And I think it's amazing that like this is happening and it's incredible. But he's like, it takes it to another level because not everyone is willing to do that. Of course. And so I, he, he's obviously been in media and writing for a long time. And if he's thinking that, you know, other people are likely thinking that as well. And it's like people only take you as seriously as you take yourself in a certain way. And in some way, you, you need to build up to that so that when you go to the studio, you're, you're ready and you're prepared and you're, you're asking the right questions. And you can only do that from doing the reps of virtual. And so this is a great way to test if this is the medium for you or you enjoy doing this. And it's phenomenal. Like the building of it. And that goes back to the synchronicity and each thing building when it's supposed to happen. I don't think I did a studio episode. I didn't do an in-person episode till 224. Right. So it's like now most people think of me as just an in-person podcast and just know me as an in-person podcast, but it was 224 episodes before I got to that point. So it's, you really, it puts it in perspective and it's been a nice journey of two and a half years now. And what you see today is not what it once was. And that, that is on purpose because we built to that point. Hmm. I want to get your thoughts around this whole podcasting thing and kind of the future I know you think we're still early and yes. I want to know what you're excited about this whole space. Oh man. Imagine it's 1440 and the printing press just comes out. People start writing papers and they're really excited by this ability to have thoughts in their head and transmit it to somebody at a different place in time through their writing, through their thoughts. 
Now imagine you live in 2010 and podcasting is just starting to take off. We are now 13 years into a brand new medium of communication, of a way for people to take thoughts and ideas and make them into reality and to learn about people. It's like, imagine when there was 400,000 books. It's like, that sounds like a lot, but you also know there's a lot more than 400,000 books. There's probably more than 4 million books published last year, if I had to guess. I don't, I don't know the actual number. But point being, it's like we are at the start of a new way of communicating, a way that is better than the current mediums of TV and radio. And those are great mediums as well, but they miss some nuance. They miss some connection. They miss a lot of what podcasts bring to the table. And it is, it's like we don't have people who grew up wanting to be podcasters and who actually are now. We know people who grew up wanting to be musicians and actually are musicians now. We know there are people who grew up wanting to be TV stars and now they are TV stars. We don't know what the people who are at the top of the podcasting game, when they grew up, they didn't want to be podcasters. But there are people that are growing up now, and you might be one of them, who want to be podcasters growing up and actually become that 10, 20 years later or five, right? And that's the amazing thing about the medium is you know it's new when the people who are at the top didn't even know that they wanted to do that when they grew up. And so that's why I'm, I'm excited about it because it's clearly better. It's clearly growing every year in advertising dollars in the amount of shows and the amount of listens. But it's like, it's still just like so early on the whole thing and people think they're late, but it's just like, it hasn't even started yet. And it's about to get, absolutely wild over the next 10 years from my prediction, my perspective, at least. Yeah. And just imagining that future a bit, how does it look like? Like, obviously somebody's got to make that future, right? And it's going to be these people and you could be one of them. Like you're obviously growing your podcast so much and where do you see it going? Like your podcast, podcasting in general. So I heard John Shahidi. Are you familiar with that name? I'm afraid not. He's no, no worries. He's, the manager for Full Send. So I think the Nelk boys have a podcast and he is the manager for that podcast. And he was talking about how podcasting is the future and how all of the podcasters today are going to be networks tomorrow. And so you have LeBron James creating a network of podcasts. You have Kevin Durant creating a network of podcasts. You have the Full Send podcast creating a network of podcasts. You have My First Million going to create a network of podcasts. And so in a way, all these big podcasts are actually networks, which are then going to be channels the same way we have CNN or Fox News. And it'll start with a big podcast and the big podcast will then become the network. And I thought that was an interesting insight because I hadn't played it that far out myself, but I really liked his perspective on where it all is going. It's like the actual huge podcasts are networks and those will help churn out other shows and build those up as well. You see this a little bit with Cody Ko. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. Yeah. So Cody Ko, he's got a podcast. I forget, Tiny Meat Gang, I think it's called. And he, he's got like a podcast network on his YouTube channel and that YouTube channel like is hosting other podcasts. So he, in essence, has become the network. And he's doing that. I think that's the first of many to come. Mm, nice. Wow. And 
what do you think about you know maybe it all getting a bit more compacted a little shorter like clips are huge right now but if you kind of see blog posts heading into uh little tweets and you know like something like that with audio yeah absolutely that that's the way the world is going everything's getting shorter everything's getting more compact and probably more people will be podcasters in a way that we can't fathom today because here i got a mic you got a mic it's like you got a headset and it's like it's a production to do this then we have to export it and it's a whole process and there's something beautiful about all this thing and all the work we're putting in to make this a reality that most people don't see all the research you did but there's going to be a way for people to do it a lot quicker a lot easier and the technology is there to do it so and more people want to create podcasts than want to actually create all the equipment and build all the equipment to make it happen so it's a foregone conclusion that the world of podcasters is going to expand. It might not expand by the way we think it will expand, like we do in the sense of everyone will have a podcast, but it might expand in other ways that we can't possibly predict in this moment. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I want to turn to recommendations. What are one or two books that you've highlighted most? So a little recency bias. It's all in your head by Russ, Get Out of Your Way. So the subtitle. I've read this book three years out of the last four. On December 22nd, 2019, December 26th, 2021, and December 23rd, 2022. I didn't intend to be that case, but I just write, you could see like here, I I write the the date that I, I start a book. And I was like, holy smokes, I've read this book three years out of the last four at the same time. Holy, like that, that surprised me. I love this book because it's about a guy who's on a mission for 10 years and has delusional belief in himself. And it actually works out after like his eighth or ninth or 10th year. And I was just like, there's something so magical about that. His belief, his ability to document his process. He's, I go to, a lot of times I go to musicians as parallels because I don't have a lot of podcasters to turn to and be like, this guy made it as a podcaster. So I'm turning to musicians and rappers and entertainers as a way to be like, all right, how'd they do it, right? Like how'd they make their dream a reality? And Russ is one of those people who I'm really inspired by and who made his dream a reality with delusional belief and optimistic uh, execution day in, day out. And I'm really inspired by that and wrote it all an amazing, quick, easy to read book. Um, you know, another book that I love is Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. That book changed my life. I was in a really dark place in March of 2020. And I read that book, applied it. And then within six months, I was interviewing the author of that book and Kamal Ravikant. And I was just like, oh, what is happening? Like, I literally just applied this book and magic has come out of it. I didn't have a podcast when I started it. I didn't intend to. But by the end of you know the six months of, after reading it, I I had a podcast and one where the author was getting value from our conversation. So yeah, it's a, it's a, a really cool thing to be able to talk to so many people who inspire you. And that's what the podcast allows you to do. And that's, I love reading and I love learning. And it's like, the more you do that, the more you talk to the people who create those resources, the more full my heart is. And 
hopefully one day I'll have Russ on the podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, man. When you're going through, you know, the starting phase, it's it all seems kind of slow, right? You're not growing that much. You're yeah. not seeing the results. And then once you've, you know, kind of taken that step back and you've come across a long way, like, you know, six months, as you say, and then now you realize, wow, I interviewed this guy whose book I read like six months ago. And before, like, I didn't even have a podcast then. Now I do. And, you know, I'm interviewing him. That's, yeah, that's surreal when you think about it. And it's just the power of compounding and all the stuff that you don't see in the days that you can see in the years and the months. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's like, even though I'd done, so I'd done like 160 episodes and I'm like, I don't get it. I thought I was supposed to do 100 and like, it'll it'll work out. And it, and it did work out, but it didn't work out in the way that I expected it to, right? I expected it to work out in like, oh, I'll have this massive audience and it'll all work out and like, it'll, like I'll be able to live off this. But it really did work out in the sense that I met some of my heroes. I interviewed people I couldn't have spoke to before and I like learned so much about myself. So sometimes the, the results that we're seeking aren't actually the results we get in the short term. And that's okay. And it's sometimes we just need to zoom out to realize that. Yeah. And I think having a podcast is like the best excuse to be speaking to anybody. <laughs> you can just, you know, yeah. tell them if you want to speak to them, hey, come on my podcast. And if you, yeah, I think a lot of people can do that. And I'm really, really appreciate you coming on. So, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, dude. I, I see myself in you, you know, I see, I've been there. I've been 15 years old on the internet. I've been 13. I I resonate so strongly with it. So it's the, the least I can do. Other than yours, what are one or two podcasts you've most listened to? So I think my most listened to in 2022 was Joe Rogan and My First Million. Those were my my two biggest. And then I also listened to Modern Wisdom by Chris Williamson a lot. And I um, I listened to this personal training podcast from Gary Vaynerchuk's two personal trainers. And I just love their chemistry and their vibe together. Jordan Syed and Mike Vacanti, they're incredible. And I've been fans of both of them for seven years now at this point, which is wild to say, right? Like I listened, I watched their vlogs in like 2015, 2016 and followed them on Instagram. And then like, I just always resonated with their vibe and their way of thinking about the world. And now I just listen to their podcast, even though I'm not trying to become a personal trainer anymore. Like I was at the start of March, 2020, it's like, it's so cool to be able to connect with them and be friends with them. Now it's like, what is life? You know what I mean? Like this is the craziest thing. But yeah, those are a few that I, I listen to and that I, I really enjoy. Yeah. I want to hear more about Gary Vaynerchuk because he's been pretty impactful in my life as well. Like he was kind of one of the people who encouraged me, not personally, but just through his content to be going out and starting a blog and then, you know, meeting all those cool people. And literally, I think so much of it was downstream from that one decision of starting a blog. And maybe if I wasn't consuming Gary Vaynerchuk content and other people's content around content creation, then perhaps I wouldn't have done that. And I would have remained in school, maybe just a typical kid. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, like you spoke to him, you've met him. How, how, yeah. Just how do you think about him? I think he's a, 
he's an often misunderstood. He, this is a problem with getting really big. Sure. Is that there are going to people that they take pride in in taking you down or looking at your negative characteristics or attributes, but I've really never seen him in a negative light at all. And that's been from following him for now on and off since 2009. So 14, 15 years, something like that. And I've always just noticed in him this incredible optimism, this incredible kindness, this ability to look at the bright side, this ability to work hard and to really put your foot down and be like, all right, no, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And really put yourself out there and be okay with yourself. And a lot of it, I remember when I stumbled across it when I was 13, 15, I was like, how is this guy this kind? How is this guy this you know, positive and feel at peace with himself? And how is he like, how is he like this? Like I could never be like this is what I thought in my head at the time. And then it was through meditation that I started to learn more about myself. I started to become more self-aware. I started to uncover a lot of the stories that I was telling myself about myself and see them for what they were. And then I was like, huh. Like I do view the world with optimism, kindness, empathy, just general good heartedness. And I am genuinely happy with myself. And a lot of a huge part of that is by looking at myself. So Gary Vaynerchuk was, I don't think he's meditated in his entire life, maybe like twice or three times. He got to that place by being born with incredible DNA and probably incredible parents. I got to that place by having incredible DNA, incredible parents, but also meditating. Like that. I would not have gotten to that place of inner peace and happiness and excitement about life had it not been for meditating. So a lot of people look at him, I'm sure, and say, how the hell is this guy this kind or this hardworking or this empathetic or this? I didn't understand either, but then I started to meditate and I felt all of those attributes and then some. So that would be my advice for anyone who doesn't quite understand how he is the way he is. Start looking at yourself on a consistent basis and you might find some of the same attributes. No guarantees, but that's at least been my experience. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I don't think that, yeah, maybe like some people are more tended towards being optimistic than others, but optimism can generally come from a sense of understanding about the world. If you understand that yes. problems are soluble, you can solve them. You can, you know, every problem that you have is just another problem that can be solved. And, there's really nothing stopping you. And if you're pessimistic, like that pessimism can be self-fulfilling and you'll never solve it. So if like, if there's a, yeah, if you think you can, then you just need to know how to do it. And then it's all downstream from that optimism now. And so that's like the first thing you got to have, just being optimistic about solving all the problems and trying to figure out a solution. Yeah. Absolutely. And having that as the baseline for everything that you do just gives you incredible peace because you're like, all right, this is a problem, but like, I'm going to look for how I can try to solve this. And if you have shown in the past that you can solve problems, that makes you inherently optimistic because you look at those problems and you're like, I've solved a lot of these in my life. So it's like maybe the solve for becoming more optimistic is just solving easier problems until you can get to them to be harder problems, right? Like I solved the problem of becoming in shape by going to the gym consistently. If I did that for 90 days, then I did that for a year, then I did that for two years, three years. Well, now I feel pretty confident in my health, in my fitness, and 
because I solved that problem, I can now renounce it, as Naval would say. And I can also feel confident in anything I do on the day-to-day because I'm like, all right, I solved this huge problem that most people have with their life, becoming obese or or you know, not taking care of their health and fitness. I solved that one. So if I solve this one, what else can I solve? It makes you excited. By sol- you solve a problem, it makes you excited because you're like, what's the next one? Yeah. Lastly, people themselves who are some of kind of the best, not like best is very subjective in the sense, but like, yeah. Who do you think are some of the people that you met that you really admire and think that people could benefit from? David Perel was a big one. David Perel um, was the first name to come to mind. And he was someone that I looked at on Twitter in March of 2020. I was like, April 2020. I was like, this guy is so smart. This guy's using Twitter the way that I wish I could if I was smarter. And he he has incredible just thoughts and perspectives and ideas. So I, I hope more people check out David Perel and probably a good place to start would be your interview with him, which I haven't checked out, but I want to. And um, just a, a really wise and, and brilliant guy. But yeah, I mean, Naval's really impacted me a lot. Naval Ravikant, uh, Joe Rogan, Jocko Willink, David Goggins, Eckhart Tolle. Like these are all just people who, Mike Posner, Russ, like just people that I really resonate with at a deep level because they're playing with life. Like they're they're in a state of play with life. And that's a beautiful thing to witness as somebody gets into their 30s and 40s and 50s. It's like, oh, it's possible to play with life at those ages. And it's exciting because yeah. I hope to take a similar path if the universe allows it. Well, Danny, I really appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to seeing all the cool things you do next. Where can people find you? People can find me at the Danny Miranda podcast or at Hey Danny Miranda on Twitter. And uh, likewise, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all the cool things you do in your life as well. Because if it's in you to create media at 16 years old, like it's just, it compounds and the connections compound and the people and the skills, it all increases over time. And uh, I'm just excited to see the journey unfold for you. Thanks again. 